Well, we welcome you tonight, and we're going to jump back in the little book of Jude. So if you'll find that, it's an easy book to find. Just open it to Revelation, turn back a book. And you should have an index card or a sheet of paper on your uh, chair or somewhere near you. And does anybody need a pen before we start? Because we're going to start with that here in just a moment. Everybody got something to write with? Everybody got a Bible? I'm going to write something on the board, and I want you to think about it for a moment. And you notice the first word is the word all. So whenever you see the word all, you know, okay, this is very broad what we're about to write. Can you all see that? It's not kind of weak. Red should be better than that. All. Christians, okay, so we're very broad now. All Christians, those we would define a Christian as those who know Christ and uh, Christ knows them. I'm going to write look like Zorro, don't I? All right. All Christians are ministers. Think about that for a moment. Process that. And I want you to think about whether or not you agree with that statement. All, all Christians are ministers. Do you agree with that statement? Some are yes. All right. Do you might disagree with that statement? Okay, it looks like we have a majority here who agree with that statement. Now let's ask the next question, which when we agree with something, I usually ask you what? Why is that true? Why are all Christians ministers? We minister to the flock, our neighbors, our family. Okay, all right. Church members. We are all living, and as Christians, our life should be... A reflection of Christ and Amen. a ministry. Amen. Anybody else? It's all correct. Our ministry can be good or bad. <laughs> That's very true. You're right. <coughs> you know, your life should reflect. Yeah. But, you know, it's at times, my reflection is not what it should be. There are ministries that have been very harmful to the cause of Christ. We, we know that. Well, you got a card. you got a pen. Now, I'm not going to ask for these, and, and you can share if you want to later, but it's something you're writing for yourself. I want you to write on that card. Nobody look on anybody else's card. I want you to write on that card what your primary ministry is. You can write one or two things, how many you want to write. But I want you to write tonight what your primary ministry is. When you think about your life and God's calling in your life, what is your primary ministry? Not necessarily your spiritual gift, because okay. some people don't exercise their spiritual gift. Okay. Um, we should, but uh, what is your primary ministry? You may have one or two things you jot down on that card. 
But hopefully, we just said that all Christians are ministers, right? So if all Christians are ministers, you should have something to write on that card. And this is for your, your sake as we consider what we're going to study tonight. All right, well, let's ask this, and you don't have to. There's no pressure. Does anybody, I know some are finishing up, does anybody want to share what their primary ministry is? Or ministries, what their primary ministries are? Anybody want to share that? If not, we'll move on. My husband and the children. Okay, so your primary ministry is your home. All right. Okay, your family. And that's a legitimate ministry. That's not something that, you know... We discount it all. We have to have that. And we're thankful for it. Anybody else? We'll move on quickly if nobody else wants to share. See, I didn't write a card, but I would have written two things down, um, at least. Uh, number one, I would have written uh, on the card, my family. Uh, I talked to the Brotherhood. It's been a while back now. It's on the web somewhere about a man's first ministry. It's to his family. I would have wrote down family. And then the second thing, of course, I would have written down Red Hill Baptist Church, because God has called me here as an under-shepherd. So I would have written those two things. Are there other ministries we have? Sure. Are there things we do? Sure. But my primary ministry will be those two things. Anybody else want to share if we move on? Well, if you didn't write anything down, either you're just disagreeable and you're not going to write anything down, um, or maybe you don't know what to write down. And if that's the case, maybe this is a challenge for you to do some serious praying and ask God what it is he'd have you to do. Somebody mentioned, I think Miss Priscilla mentioned the fact that we're living. Uh, the fact that we're still here means that God is not through with us. Uh, he's left us here for a purpose. Uh, we're saved to serve, not to sit and sour. Uh, you probably heard that before. Uh, God wants to use our lives. That's exciting just to think about. It. God wants to use our lives just as he used the people in the Old Testament and throughout church history. Now, here's the other question I want to ask you tonight before we dive into this Jude passage. Do you want to be effective in your ministry? Yes or no? I think everybody would say yes. I don't know many people to set out and say, you know what? I really want to be a failure when it comes to the ministry. <laughs> uh, or I really want to be a failure when it comes to anything, really. We don't hopefully go into anything just planning on failing. Uh, maybe you did, but most people don't. You, you go through school. Maybe there were some rough days. Maybe you thought you were going to fail, but you didn't set out to fail. You hoped to pass if by the skin of your teeth. You set out in your job. Uh, you didn't go into the job saying, I hope I can be the worst person that's ever done this job, right? No, you want to excel. We want to be effective. And when it comes to our ministry, whatever that is, whether your ministry is your family or a class or a group or, or whatever your ministry might be, you want to be effective. Well, I believe as we jump in the book of Jude tonight, we're going to find... Uh, three keys for effective ministry. Three keys for effective ministry. And um, tonight we're going to look at just the very first ten words of the book. And I believe we'll find three keys for effective ministry. And we're going to read the first ten words of uh, Jude. And we'll read the very first uh, verse there. And uh, we'll just read part of the verse. Well, let's go ahead and read the whole verse and we'll back up and look at just part of it. Jude 1, of course there's no, you know, there aren't multiple chapters, so Jude, verse 1. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those excuse me, who are called, sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ. Now notice these words, Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ 
and brother of James. That's what I want to talk to you about tonight. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. Anybody count it? Make sure I count it right. I know some, some people do that right away when I say there's ten words. That's what I would do. I do. You, you did? All right. Ten, ten words. And I know you counted it four times. different versions. Yeah, different versions. Yeah, the New King James has ten. Yours may have a little bit different. In fact, even later on that verse, yours might have a different word. And we'll talk about that later. But in this particular version, Jude, upon servant of Jesus Christ, and brother of James. You ready for the three keys? Number one, I would try to draw a key, but that, I don't know if I can, should I try it or not? I think I could do, we'll do an old-fashioned key, right? One, one frog or two? Two frogs? That's a dog bone. <laughs> you like it now? See, don't don't judge it before it's done. All right, that's an old-fashioned key because these are you know standard uh, uh, truths that pass not away. If you are the first key, you might be surprised. You want to be an effective servant minister. The first key, believe it or not, is slavery. Wait a minute. Slavery? That's the very first key to effective ministry. Yes. I want you to look at what Jude wrote there. Jude, a bond servant. Anybody have anything different in your version? Mine just says the servant. The servant. Well, here's what that means there. That word in the Greek is not uh, diakonos, which can mean you know just a servant as well. The word is the word doulos. And the word doulos means Slave. So what he's saying there is Jude, a bond servant, a bond slave, a slave of Jesus Christ. Now, John MacArthur said in the Greco-Roman world, the world in which they live, slavery was widespread, making the familiar New Testament designation bond servant very significant. I want to ask you to look up some verses tonight as we go through. Who will look up Romans 1.1? All right. Thank you, Debbie. Who will look up Philippians 1.1? All right, thank you, Priscilla. And who'll look up Second Peter one one? Second Peter one one. All of them are one ones. All right, thank you. If you're like me, you listen out for the easiest book to find, right? You say, "Oh, I'll take that one." It says Zephaniah or Haggai or whatever. You're like, <laughs> you start sweating because you can't find it. And what I want you to see here is what MacArthur says is, is this word, it denoted being owned. And it denoted the idea of rendering absolute selfless submission to someone. And in this case, it's Jesus Christ. So what Jude's saying is, I'm owned by Jesus Christ. I'm totally submissive to Jesus Christ. I'm a slave to Jesus Christ. All right, let's read those. Who has Romans 1.1? Paul, a servant of Jesus of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. Thank you. Paul, a servant. That is, he's a slave. He's a bond servant of Jesus Christ. Who had Philippians 1.1? I did. Okay. Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi, with the bishops and deacons. Thank you. Once again, we have them talking about them being servants. This is rendered in that translation. It's the idea of being a bond servant, being a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. Second Peter 1, 1, please. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Yeah, <laughs> you did. Uh, the, the idea... 
in all those, it says in my versions. Did you do Second Peter one one? Because I didn't hear that. Yeah, I, I didn't think that sounded right. Would you turn to Second Peter one one and read that one? Okay, sorry. I can I can rewind and see here now. I probably did. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ. There we go. That's what we're looking for. Simon Peter, a bondservant of Jesus. Are you noticing a theme? Uh, bondservants of Christ. Now, if I want to be an effective minister for the Lord Jesus, I need to realize that as a believer, I'm a slave to Jesus Christ. Now, it's important to note who our master is. We're not a slave to a church. We're not a slave to a religious leader. We're not a slave to a religious organization. We're not a slave to religion, as some people are. We're slaves of Jesus Christ. And, beloved, may I say tonight, there's no greater master in which to serve than the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's be honest. Let's be honest for a moment. I can tell on your faces. When we talk about slavery and being a slave, let's be honest. What comes to your mind? It's negative. It's negative. Anybody else want to chime in? In bondage, um, oppressive, oppression. Uh, we think about abuse sometimes when it comes to slavery. We have a negative mindset. And, of course, you know, we don't believe in slavery as we know it in our own history. Uh, there are those who are still in slavery, those that are in bondage, those who are abused, those who are owned. Uh, we don't believe that people should be owned as property, right? I mean, you shouldn't have people that you uh, own as your possession at your house. Uh, but the idea is we need to get beyond that negative mindset because we don't get beyond that negative mindset. And it is a negative thing in those terms. But in regards to the Lord Jesus Christ, it's the most positive thing we could talk about. Being a slave, a servant, being in submission to the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, being a slave, we're talking about effective keys uh, for ministry. Being a slave really simplifies our lives. You ever think about that? Maybe you feel like your life is very complex and probably is. Uh, how many decisions do you think you made just today? I mean, you made decisions from the time, am I going to get up when the alarm clock goes off? What am I going to wear? Where am I going to go? What am I going to eat? And then even maybe more serious decisions. Maybe you had some, some life-altering decisions to make even this week. Our lives are very complex, trying to balance out all these things. Um, being a slave simplifies your life. Why is that so? Why is it simple when it comes to being a slave? Somebody's telling you what to do. Exactly. Discipline. Discipline. And, and when you have a gracious... And there were, even in the history of even our own country, in the history we're aware of, there were kind masters. There were those who uh, treated their slaves well, if we could say it that way. Um, here we're talking about the Lord Jesus. And it simplifies our life. Why? Because our life boils down, really, I think, to two things. And that would be to trust and obey. Uh, he's my master. He's my Lord. Uh, so as his bondservant, as his servant, as his slave, as his uh, one in submission, I'm going to trust him and I'm going to obey him. And it simplifies my life. Now, here's another question on that, on the tail end of that I was thinking about as I was coming over uh, later on this evening is how do we know what to do? I mean, if he's our master and he's our Lord and we're his bondservant, how do we know what to do? I mean, if we're going to have simplified lives, how do we receive his instructions? The yeah, the Bible, God's word. Uh, not only the Bible, but also God's Holy Spirit. As we submit to the Spirit's lead, we talk about uh, being filled with the Spirit. All that means is we allow the Holy Spirit to control us. Now, we talk about what we're slaves, right? We yield our bodies to the Holy Spirit. 
We say, Holy Spirit, fill me with your presence and your spirit. Use my mouth. Use my hands. Use my feet. Use my body. Use my eyes. Use my mind. Use my thoughts. Use everything I have. Being a slave really simplifies our life. Hudson Taylor. Have you heard that name? A great missionary uh, in our Christian faith. He was a missionary to China. Uh, He found what we know today as the Overseas Missionary Fellowship. And here's what he said. Let us give up our work, our plans, ourselves, our lives, our loved ones, our influence, our all right into God's hand. And then when we've given all over to him, there will be nothing left for us to be troubled about. Why? We're slaves. We're bondservants. Now, thankfully, we're also his children, right? That's not an element we're bringing out necessarily in this particular passage. We're also the sons and daughters of God, heirs and joint heirs of the Lord Jesus Christ. But our lives get very simplified. We realize we're slaves. So that means then, beloved, just as Jude recognizes a bondservant, that means we're not our own. Um, This is something that you and I and Jude as well entered into voluntarily. We receive the Lord Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. We cast our life at his very feet and we say, Lord, here am I. Use me. We voluntarily and willingly give ourselves as bondservants. Why? Because he's master. He's Lord. And he has the very best in mind for our life. We're bought with a price. We're not our own. We're a purchased possession. But we don't serve just out of compulsion. It's not I have to. It's I want to and I get to. And here's an interesting passage. Go to Ephesians 6. Let's look at that one together. Ephesians 6. Now, let's be honest about it as we turn to Ephesians 6. These type of messages are real challenging because we value our freedom, don't we? I don't know about you, but I'm glad I live in a free country. I'm glad I can get up here tonight and teach God's word. I can come to church. I can go out and witness. I can do all these things. I pray to the Lord we can keep those freedoms and we can reach out around the world with the gospel. But listen, we're bondservants to Christ. And I want you to notice what it says in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 through. It's pretty interesting. He addresses bondservants, literal bondservants. Then he'll talk about us being bondservants to Christ. Look at bondservants, uh, Ephesians 6, 5. We've been in Ephesians 6 and 5 for a while now. I just remember that. Let's read the next verse. Yeah, verse 5. Bondservants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, to those who are literal Servants, literal slaves. How? With fear and trembling. In sincerity of heart as to Christ. Now notice the next part, verse 6. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as what? Bond servants of Christ. Doing what? The will of God from the heart. With good will, doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. He mentions the slaves. Verse 9, he mentions the masters. You masters do the same thing to them, giving up threatenings, knowing that your own master, look at that, your own master also is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. Notice it's very clear there. We're bond servants of Christ. He's our master. He's our Lord. And so we willingly submit to his leading, his instructions, his guidance in our lives. To be an effective servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, I need to realize that I'm a bondservant. I'm a slave to Christ. I don't have any rights. Now, that's tough to say, isn't it? That's tough to swallow, but it's the truth. I go at his bidding. I go at his command. I obey his voice. I'm his child. I'm his servant. 
He's my master. He's my Lord. He's my heavenly father. God, the father is. And so we're slaves. So the first key, man, it's a tough one to get on the ring, isn't it? Is the key of slavery. You want to be effective? Give up your rights. Give up your rights to the Lord Jesus. Y'all going to make me draw the key every time? Hope I can get better at it. This would be a different key. All right. Number two. Aren't you glad you have to use those open real locks? Number two. Humility. Let's go back to Jude now. And I believe that Jude shows us humility in several different ways in this, in this passage. Of course, he's already talked about he's a what? He's a bondservant of Jesus Christ. He doesn't flaunt his rights or his anything. He's a bondservant. But I want you to notice his humility. And he, he shows it in two different ways, especially here in Jude. He shows it, first of all, about what he did mention. And then secondly, about what he did not mention. I want you to notice what he did mention. Jude 1. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. And brother of James. Now, I want you to notice what he did mention. He mentioned I'm James's brother. Um, now, James, as one scholar said, James needed no further introduction. When he wrote to these believers, he knew who he was talking about. When he said James, he said, okay, I know who that is. He was probably James, the half-brother of the Lord Jesus Christ. James came to prominence as the leader in the church in Jerusalem. You can read about that in Acts 12. Acts 15, Acts 21. Paul actually called him one of the pillars of the church, Galatians 2, 9. And it was likely that the book of James was written by this same James, uh, who was the half-brother of the Lord Jesus. Now, obviously Jude had no problem being known as the brother of James. Notice that. He says, Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. We don't find any pride. We don't find any arrogance. In fact, it appears to me that Jude knew how to play the most difficult instrument of all. Do you know what the most difficult instrument of all is to play? Does anybody know what it is? The most difficult instrument. Second fiddle. Think about that. Everybody wants to play first fiddle, right? They want to be in the prominence. But to play the second fiddle well, and maybe on down the line even as well. They have third and fourth. Y'all know more about orchestras than I do. Listen, we went to the program, went to a program in the morning at elementary school. And uh, Gideon was in the program. Gabe was at breakfast. And the program uh, let out. So we walked Gideon back down to the lunchroom. And uh, Gabe's class was in there with the other Gideon's class and all. And we walk in. And Gabe's class is lining up. And, of course, I know some of the kids. They come here and they whatnot. And so I go up to him, and one of the little girls says, hey, Gabe's dad. <laughs> and to me, and to her, that's who I am. I'm Gabe's dad. And um, she doesn't know me for who I am. And she later asked her what my name was. And uh, you know what? She knows me as Gabe's dad. And, and that's great. I'm glad. I, I love being Gabe's dad. But listen, are you willing to take the back seat? Are you willing to play second fiddle? Is it okay if somebody else's name gets mentioned? When Jude says, listen, I'm Jude. You know, it's short for Judas. I'm Jude. Uh, I'm a bondservant of Jesus Christ. I'm the brother of James. Oh, yeah, you're James's brother. Maybe you have that. Maybe you grew up, maybe you're the second sibling. And you were always known as so-and-so's sister or so-and-so's brother. And maybe growing up, you hated that. And you wanted to be somebody else. But listen, Jude had no problem with this. Are you willing to let others get the credit? Are you willing to let others get their name printed while yours remains unmentioned? Does it matter who gets the credit? 
Listen, if we want to be effective ministers, we have to learn humility. There's an interesting passage in 1 Corinthians 3. Would you turn there? 1 Corinthians 3. Talking about who gets the credit and who gets mentioned. Now, Paul is writing to the Corinthian church, and the Corinthian church had some great challenges, to say the least. But in chapter 3, uh, he begins to talk to them specifically uh, about some, uh, some issues here. And let's just back up and start at verse 1. 1 Corinthians 3, 1. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it. And even now you are still not able, for you are still carnal. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? Now listen to verse 4. For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am Apollos, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? You see what they were doing? They were kind of making their own groups, and I, I'm, I follow Paul, and I follow Apollos. Look at verse 5. Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos, but ministers through whom you believed, as to the Lord gave each other? I planted, Paul says, Apollos watered, but notice the next part, God gave the increase. Look at verse 7. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's, notice this next verse, verse 9, we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. According to the grace of God which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. What's he saying there? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who it was that witnessed to you. It doesn't matter who it was. They'll get the reward. Praise God. But the main thing is, it's Jesus who matters. Jesus gets the honor. Jesus gets the glory. And I, and I pray God will use your life in a wonderful way. And he'll touch your life and use your life. But listen, always make sure. Let's always, all of us make sure that the glory goes to the Lord Jesus. The glory goes to God. If we're going to be effective servants, if we're going to be effective ministers, we must practice humility. The Bible says what esteem others how? Better than yourselves. We must make sure that all the glory goes to the Lord. Alastair Begg, maybe you've heard him on the radio before. He's a, a preacher and a pastor. Alastair Begg, he, he wrote that John Thornton told Charles Simeon. Charles Simeon was a, a pastor from many years ago. There are three lessons that a minister has to learn. He said, number one, he has to learn humility. Number two, he has to learn humility. And number three, he has to learn humility. And he says that when Simeon uh, heard that, he went home and wrote it in his private notebook in large letters, talk not about myself. Humility. If we're going to be effective ministers, we're going to make sure that God gets the honor and the glory. Right? Humility. Jude showed humility in what he did mention. He said, hey, I'm, I'm James's brother. I'm a bondservant of Christ. But he also showed humility in what he didn't mention. Because there's something here he did not say that he could have said. And if we were honest, we probably would have said it. Now, what didn't he say? Well, think about it for a moment. He says, I'm the brother of James. Now, if he's the brother of James, then that means he is also the half-brother of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why is he the half-brother? 
Because of the virgin birth, exactly. Jesus was born of a virgin, but then later Joseph and Mary knew each other in a sexual way and had children. Uh, let's get some scripture on that. Here, write these down if you want to. Matthew thirteen fifty five. Matthew thirteen fifty five. Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? So we have James and Jude mentioned there. It's Matthew thirteen fifty five. Mark six three. Mark six three. Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. Now, the interesting thing to note here is, um, let's stop for a moment. Can you imagine growing up with the Lord Jesus as your brother? Just stop for a moment. We'll just have fun for a moment. Can you imagine that? Now, let's be honest about it. Were you the good child or the bad child? Anybody want to share? Nobody wants to share with that? You all were good children, weren't you? You were a good child. So, so maybe you're the one. <laughs> so, maybe, so, maybe, so maybe Tim got tired of hearing about you. Why can't you? No. But you can imagine, I mean, when, when you're growing up and, and maybe you do something wrong and, or maybe you have a sibling who always did what was right. I mean, that's tough. But imagine growing up with the Lord Jesus. He was sinless. He never did anything wrong. He it's never, watch, yeah, he never sinned. He he never talked back to Mary and Joseph. He never, never stole a cookie from the cookie. I mean, he never sinned at all. Sinless perfection. Uh, none of us know anything about that. We know from a very early age, um, and then from having children ourselves, we know if you don't teach them to sin, they they come by that naturally, don't they? They're depraved, and they they understand that, and they practice that. And we. Pray for their salvation and our sanity. I mean, we, but Jesus was perfect. But here's the interesting thing. Early on, they didn't believe on the Lord Jesus. Let me read you a passage. You might want to go there with me. John 7. This is going to be encouragement to you, I hope. John 7. We'll begin at verse 1. I, I don't see them named. You're right, brother. So I, I, don't, uh, I don't know. Um, they're just kind of mentioned there. The sisters got... Kind of thrown in the verses, it looks like the brothers are mentioned. Probably. You're probably right. (laughs) (laughs) Hope so. John 7. After these things, Jesus walked in Galilee, for he did not want to walk in Judea, because the Jews sought to kill him. Now, the Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand. His brothers therefore said to him, Depart from here and go into Judea, that your disciples also may see the works that you are doing. For no one does anything in secret while he himself seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. And notice verse 5. For even his brothers did not believe in him. And they saw him. They knew who he was. Uh, We can understand from simple human nature how that might have taken place, can't we? You realize that your brother is the Messiah. Derry, you want to jump in? No, I just was going to say how did they believe in him as, as the coming Messiah? Okay, then you answer it. All right, well, th- later on they did. Yeah. Because if you write down this reference, Acts one fourteen, it's an interesting verse here, Acts one fourteen. Here's what the Bible says, Acts one fourteen. These all continue with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Now, again, the sisters aren't mentioned. We, I would assume that they, too, came to faith in Christ. 
Um, but that should encourage you. You know why? Maybe you've got family you're praying for right now that are not believers. Maybe you've been praying for a long time for these people, and you want to see them come to Christ, but they just don't believe, and you're still praying. Listen, take heart. Even Jesus' own family members did not believe at first. That's an encouragement to me. In your parenting, let me encourage you in that. Uh, the Lord started with two, and look what happened to them. And he's a perfect father, right? Uh, we know that man has a free will, and he does as he uh, wants within the freedom that God grants to him. Um, don't lose heart. Keep praying. But here's the interesting thing. Jude does not flaunt the fact that he's the half-brother of Jesus. He says, I'm the brother of James. Now, let's be honest about it. Would you have mentioned other people? You know who my brother is? My brother is Jesus. You know, that's natural tendency, wouldn't it? To, to say, you know, people like to name drop, right? You know, guess, guess who I saw? Guess who I had dinner with? Or guess, guess who my, my friend is? And we find significance and importance time by saying who we probably don't even know them, but we just want to say, hey, I met this person or I got to see this person, whatever. James is the literal half-brother of the Lord Jesus. He doesn't mention it. Why? Because I think the reason why was probably because... He realized the emphasis is not on the physical relationship to Jesus. It's the spiritual relationship to Jesus. You say, where do you get that? Well, let's go to Matthew 12. You see, the important thing was not that James was Jesus' half-brother. The important thing was that James came to faith in the Lord Jesus. Matthew 12, I want to show you this passage. Matthew 12, 46. Another interesting account dealing with his family and his brothers Matthew twelve forty six. While he was still talking to the multitudes, behold, his mother and brothers stood outside seeking to speak with him. So get the idea here. He's teaching the multitudes. Mom and the brothers are outside wanting to talk with him. Then one said to him, look, your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak with you. Now notice what Jesus said in verse 48. But he answered and said to the one who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And he stretched out his hand toward his disciples and said, here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Listen, sad to say the, the Catholic Church exalts uh, Mary and puts her up. Listen, she was a woman. Uh, she was virgin, uh, of course, when Jesus was born, but she was a woman. She was sinful, and she had to come to faith in the Lord Jesus. His brothers had to come to faith in the Lord Jesus. His sisters had to come to faith in the Lord Jesus. Joseph, his adopted stepfather, had to come to faith in Jesus. It was not the physical relationship that made the difference. It's the spiritual relationship. Everybody has to come to faith in the Lord Jesus themselves. And so Jude shows great humility. Why? He never mentions that. He just says, hey, I'm James's brother. We've got to hurry. The third key. As we think about these keys for effective ministry. And we'll draw a really quick one this time. The third one, as we think about it, is this. Honesty. Honesty. Now, for this one, we have to move outside the first ten words of the passage. And we have to look, consider the whole book. We're not going to read it, but consider this now. Look again at verses 3 and 4 of Jude. Verse 3 says, Beloved, when I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation. I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith, which was once delivered, um, once for all delivered to the saints. 
For certain men have crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of our God to lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. And he goes on talking about this. Here's what I'm saying under this point. If we're going to be effective ministers of the Lord Jesus, we've got to be honest with God, honest with ourselves, and honest with other people. Here's what I'm saying. Jude sat down at Epirus and wanted to write one kind of letter. He wanted to write a letter about the common salvation. A glorious theme, wasn't it? The common salvation. We love to talk about salvation and being saved and born again and children of God and going to heaven. That's something we rejoice in. He wanted to write about the common salvation. He says, listen, it was necessary, it was needful. The Holy Spirit directed his attention to another subject. And that's the subject of apostasy and false teachers who come in. Remember, apostasy is those who claim to be Christians but were not. They had light but no life. Um, these false teachers came in teaching uh, Doctrine that was not consistent with the word of God. And Jude in this book, as you're going to find as we study, he did not sugarcoat the truth. Uh, he did not sugarcoat what was going on. Uh, he didn't just overlook the differences that were among them because you could not overlook these things. This is damnable heresies. He laid it out plain and straight. He was honest about what was going on. And he was a man of integrity. Uh, Johnny Hunt, the pastor of Woodstock Baptist, uh, former president of the Southern Baptist Convention, I noticed here on the other day uh, on uh, his Twitter account, he had this. We need hip preachers, H-I-P preachers. He was quoting Alistair Begg, apparently. We need hip preachers. That is, preachers who are humble, have integrity, and purity. And he's right. We need hip preachers. Uh, those who are humble and full of integrity and purity. As we minister to other people, whatever your ministry is, you need to be honest in that ministry. You say, what do you mean, preacher? Well, for instance, let's say somebody comes to you and they're struggling. And they come to you and they want you to minister to them. You ever have that? Somebody comes to you for advice or counsel or whatever. And they come to you and you find out they have blatant sin in their life. I mean blatant sin. Uh, probably the root cause of what they're going through at the moment. Now, how do you handle that as an honest minister? I'm not talking about ministers and a pastor. This is true for a pastor. But in your ministry... Do you just say, well, you know, everything should be okay, and you comfort them, and you uh, give, them, give them a hug and pray for them and send them on their way? Or do you, do you be honest with them? Do you lovingly confront and challenge them about the sin in their life? If people come to me and talk about their problems, and I've got to be honest with them. If there's blatant sin there, you've got to point that out lovingly, um, a heart of compassion. Uh, considering your own self and making sure you do it a part of humility. But you have to say, listen, this is what's going on. This is wrong. God's word says you have to deal with it honestly. When Jude looked at the, what was going on there in this church, he could just say, you know what? I, I just want to write about salvation. Let's just overlook the apostles. Let's overlook the, the false teachers. He couldn't do that. He was honest. And you need to be honest. Now, listen, this honesty works in both areas. It works in the building and the battling. We just studied the book of Nehemiah, building and battling, right? But it works in the negative areas. It works in the positive areas. Why? Because he emphasized honestly what they had in Christ and who they were in Christ. Look at the next part of verse 1. To those who are called, sanctified by God the Father, preserved in Jesus Christ, mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Wonderful blessings. We'll study those next time, God willing. He was honest about who they were and what they had in Christ, but he's also honest with them about what was going on in the church. He said, listen. I wanted to write about the common salvation, but here's what's going on. Apostasy. False teachers have crept in. And I want to challenge you to earnestly contend for the faith. Now, three keys for effective ministry. I wanted, are they on your key ring? Are they on your key ring? What is your ministry? 
What is it God's called you to do? Now, are you recognizing that you're a slave? Are you walking humbly with your God? Are you practicing honesty in all areas of your life? Do you know what your primary calling is tonight? Do you know what your ministry is? Have you given up your rights? I mean, yeah, you've done that as you trust it. But have you literally taken your hands off and said, Lord, here am I. Wherever, whenever, however, with whomever you want me to serve, I'm yours. Send me. Here am I, God. Send me. Use me. Mold me. Shape me. Fill me with thy spirit and use me for thy honor and thy glory. Three keys. Now, there are more things we can talk about, sure. But out of these ten words tonight in Jude's life, I find these three. I find three effective keys. Number one, slavery. Number two, humility. Number three, honesty. Do you have them on your ring? Are you using them daily? Jude, a servant, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, and brother James. So much there in those ten words. Let's pray. Father, we love you and praise you and thank you for your blessings in our life. Thank you for Jude. Thank you for his testimony. Uh, Thank you for his honesty and his faithfulness to you. Thank you for his love, his humility. Lord, help us to walk as we are, as bondservants of Christ, lovingly and willingly submitting our lives to you, knowing that you are our gracious master and Lord. Father, thank you for the ministries you've given to us. Thank you for the ministries represented in this room. Expand them, use them for your honor and your glory. In all things, for whatever you decide to do through and in us, Lord, may you receive all the glory, honor, and praise. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.